trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there. Welcome back from the holidays. I know, I'm still trying to deal with what feels like... Did we have three Sundays in a row? or Well, I don't even know what day it is. I do know this. We're in a new year, and I'm happy to uh, welcome my friend Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos back aboard the show. Eric, happy new year to you. Happy new year also, Brian. And I'm with you. My time sense always gets disoriented around the end of the year as well, because, you know, you kind of lose track of, is today still technically a Friday or a Saturday, or are we <laughs> off today? Are we on today? And you, you, you end up like feeling you're in the twilight zone. Well, I, I don't want to sound weird, and, and it's okay if, if, you, if you think I'm strange for thinking this. I'm actually feeling kind of optimistic as we head into 2024. And, and I know there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of trepidation. In fact, a lot of it seems to be coming from the people in power. Maybe that's why I feel optimistic, that we're, we're not going to sit well, here in stasis much longer. No, I also feel the same way. Uh, it's, it's almost becoming overtly ridiculous, everything. I mean, you know, all of the narratives are coming apart, uh, and they're desperately trying to, uh, to keep it from leaking, and they're failing badly. It's, it's sort of like a, uh, a plumber who thinks he's going to prevent your pipe from leaking by wrapping it with toilet paper, and he just keeps on desperately trying to wrap it, but it keeps on leaking anyway. Yep, I think uh, I think reality is becoming clear enough that even the the most deranged are going to have a hard time denying it. But that's okay. It's it's really those aren't the people I'm trying to reach. It's the people who are sitting there going, "Does anybody else notice what's happening?" And and I think that uh, those are the ones that uh, should take heart. Yes, people are starting to wake up. Things are going to be changing. I think there's a lot of change in store for us this year. Some will be good, some will be bad, but because we're aware, I think we have the opportunity to, to actually start making a difference, primarily starting at the local and individual level. But uh, who knows, maybe that will, will trickle upward. Oh, I'll amen that. I think you're absolutely right. I don't think it's a question of having to reach everybody. I think it's a question of having to reach enough people. And I think we're uh, approaching a critical mass of that. Um, and it's important to not get disheartened by looking at the TV and the Internet and Twitter and all of that, which I think purveys a very false impression of what most people are thinking and what most people are suspecting is going on. Um, so uh, we just have to keep on keeping on. You know, sometimes it looks the worst before things get better. And I agree with you. I think that potentially this could be a transformative year. You know, you had an article uh, that a friend of mine had referenced uh, a couple of days ago about uh, a preview of things to come. And yep. this, this has to do with all those assistance features that are now being built into our cars. And maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the the assistance, I'm putting that in air quotes, that's being offered to us and why we shouldn't be cheering that, oh, goody, now, now we have another added layer of complexity. Well, yeah, I always put that in the air fingers quotes marks as well, because to my knowledge, I've not encountered a single person yet who has said, yeah, I'd like to have that and I'm going to check the option box for it. You know, it's interesting that this stuff is being foisted on people. And it's not really so much assistance as it is preemptive and nagging and nannying technology designed uh, to kind of just prod you into operating your vehicle in the way that these, these technocrats want us to operate our vehicles. And the article that you referenced was one that I wrote telling people or trying to warn them that, you know, it's not that uh, this stuff is coming in 2026 when Biden decreed that cars will have this technology. It's already here in bits and pieces, and pretty much every car that's been manufactured over the course of 
roughly the last five years has at least some element of this technology, whether it's what they call lane keep assist, drowsy driver monitoring, automated uh, emergency braking, or some other thing. Typically, a car will have at least one, if not several, of those pieces of assistance technology already embedded in it. I love the point you make about how many of those features now are not there to help your performance so much as to uh, to track your obedience. Yes, that's exactly right. You know, um, the one that I focused on particularly was this drowsy driver monitor. And there are sensors built into the car that uh, will pester you if you don't keep your eyes forward at all times, looking straight ahead. And that's actually dangerous. Uh, I ride motorcycles. I've been riding motorcycles for most of my adult life. And the reason that I'm able to talk to you on the phone today is because I'm alive. And the reason that I'm alive is because I always look around me while I'm riding. And that's a skill that's valuable to have as a driver as well. Getting tunnel vision and just focusing on what's ahead of you means you're not paying attention to what's happening beside you, uh, to the left and to the right of you. And that's what this technology encourages. It also encourages passivity. People are reliant on technology rather than on their attention and their judgment. Uh, so, you know, it's really not about safety. It's about just kind of pigeonholing people to like we, you know, like in kindergarten when we were little kids and we were just told to sit quiet and be still. And, you know, if you dared to be the kid who raised your hand and said, why, then you got slapped. That's basically what we're dealing with here. Wow. You know, and you've touched on something. This is kind of a pet peeve with me. I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm just grumbling. But one of the things that I find hardest to to put up with when I'm a passenger in a vehicle is a driver whose head is not 100% in the game, meaning they're looking around and they're, they're aware of what's going on. Um, I Unfortunately... That's, that's how a lot of people tend to drive. You know, they're, I'm adjusting the volume, the air conditioning or whatever, or they're surprised when things suddenly, you know, oh, I have to change lanes. When I think you could have seen that. You could have seen that, you know, yep. a long time ago if you were just paying attention. But, but they and, get you know, distracted. Yeah, and an aspect that's, I think, even more pernicious is that it's being encouraged. You may have seen there's an ad, uh, and it's a Ford ad where I think it's a, they show a mother and I think it's her daughter and they're having a conversation while the car is moving and you know, they put the car on self-driving mode. And so they're not paying attention to what's going on. They're just letting the car barrel down the road while they're having a conversation. That's a really good idea, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> nope. That, that right there. I'm feeling the hair raise up on the back of my neck. Nope. <laughs> now, now I'll, I will tell you one positive thing. I have a 15 year old daughter who's in the process of getting her, her driver's license and one of the things I have really come to appreciate about her is that girl pays attention. And, and hopefully, yep. hopefully her brother's not listening. Her brother's been driving for at least three years already. Um, he's not that good of a driver. She's a better driver than him, not because she has the experience, but because she freaking pays attention to what's going on. Yes. Yep. And, you know, this goes beyond just driving. It's good policy when you're out in the world to pay attention to what's going on, to look around you. And a lot of people are buried in their cell phones. And they'll start walking across the street, uh, and then they get run over because they didn't see that the car was coming. And uh, also, they might not have noticed that there's some cretin who's approaching them from the side or the behind and who's about to attack them. Situational awareness is important, whether you're walking, whether you're driving a car, or riding a motorcycle. Now, I do have a question I want to pass on. This is courtesy of a friend of mine. Um, He read your article about a preview of things to come and Mm -hmm. wanted to know, is there a way to bypass or even trick some of those safety features, like the one that that tries to tell if your eyes were taken off the road? Can you wear mirrored sunglasses or something like that to to stop it from intervening? You know, I don't know about the mirrored sunglasses. I'm going to have to try that and report back. 
uh, probably that'll throw the machine into catalepsy and maybe it'll just pull itself over and send you a ticket. I don't know. But <laughs> here's some practical advice. Now, you're going to have to look at this individually depending on which particular model of vehicle you're looking at. But uh, depending on the model and depending on the make, some will let you disable some of these features. In other words, you can push a button or go through the, 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 the LTV menu screen and uh, look under the safety systems or assistance features, and you can, you can check a box and you can turn it off. Um, now, it may or may not come back on again after you park and stop the car and do whatever you're going to do. Go back and get in the car and drive it again. Sometimes they reboot and reset. Sometimes they don't. So you're just going to have to experiment and try it and see. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Um, you also had a, a great article on uh, a, a guy who had bought a Tesla some years ago and now was, was really hopping mad. Tell me a little bit about, uh, about Tesla derangement syndrome. Yeah, oh, this was just spectacular. You know, it is the Tesla equivalent of these people who continue to catch COVID and, and line up for their next booster. This guy uh, had bought himself a Model X back in 2017, which is barely seven years ago, for more than $100,000. And he did this whole video monologue about how over the course of driving it for less than seven years, uh, it has now lost 32% of its original charge capacity. So its range went down from an optimistic 295 miles to just barely 200. And at the same time, the value of the vehicle, he estimates, has plummeted down to about $25,000. And yet he's champing at the bit to buy another one. Huh. <laughs> they must have some really great marketing, you know, to, to overcome those kind of objections. Well, I think, you know, this provides a window into the mindset of the people who are afflicted with EV fever. And, you know, a lot of these people have the money to afford to be stupid. I, that's the way I look at it. This guy's clearly very wealthy. Uh, he has other videos that show uh, one of his homes, and this, this has to be a multimillion-dollar home. And for people in that, that position financially, uh, you know, being able to lavish $100,000 on a, a toy that doesn't work very well is, you know, they like it. They, you know, they like the car for whatever reason, but it's it, it, the considerations of practicality and economy that the rest of us have to think about don't matter to these people. And these, these people are utterly unaware of it. It doesn't occur to them. It doesn't even register with them. It's kind of like when you and I, uh, you know, go to the dollar store and some little thing catches our eye by the checkout counter that costs a buck. Well, sure, I'll get that. Why not? And, you know, if it turns out to be a piece of junk, you just throw it away and you don't think twice about it. That's how these people think about their EVs. Okay, we're going to come back to this in just a few moments. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. There is a link in my show notes that will take you directly to his website. I think you'll find it well worth your time. Lots of information and the comments on his articles are just golden. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. All right, Eric, uh, so we, we were talking about this Tesla owner who's obviously, mm -hmm. uh, he's got some beef, but at the same time, he's chomping at the bit to buy a new Tesla. Um, I'd like to get to just, I mean, we talk about this most weeks, but tell me a little bit about uh, where's the needle pointing right now in terms of EVs? At, at last I heard, I got the impression that it's a great idea that's being forced on people, wink, wink, you know, yeah. that, but not very many people are actually uh, buying them. It sounds like there's a glut of EVs sitting uh, on the lots. Well, you might call it hesitancy is beginning to pervade the land. 
um, I think it's pretty abundantly clear that the, the people who wanted to buy an electric car, which are people like the guy in the video that we were just talking about, uh, have, have bought them. And the rest of us have decided this isn't for me. And, you know, again, the parallel with the vaccines uh, is quite evident. Uh, you know, we're hesitant for good reasons. We've done our due diligence. We waited to see rather than just, you know, jumped along with the bandwagon. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, you know, let's not wait and see what, what the, the fact that facts are about this thing. Just sign me up. Um, they're not selling, uh, and the manufacturers are dialing back production. Ford announced about a week ago before Christmas that they were going to reduce production of their F-150 EV truck by about 50%, and that's that's happening across the spectrum, and it's happening for a variety of reasons. It's not just that people are concerned about the issues, the range and the recharge and all of that. It's the expense. Most people just simply cannot afford it. It's as if the expectation is that somehow – uh, everybody's going to be driving the equivalent of a Lexus or a BMW because when we're talking about EVs, we're talking about vehicles that typically have prices that start in the mid $30,000 range. And that used to be the point at which a vehicle was considered entry luxury. And, you know, most people just cannot afford to drive an entry luxury vehicle, whether it's an electric car or not. And that's fundamentally the problem here. Wow. Yeah, I don't find myself uh, getting any closer to, you know, chomping at the bit, wanting one for myself. In fact, I think I'm becoming I'm I'm becoming one of those anachronistic guys who'd rather I'd rather drive an antique vehicle that uh, that can run on you know alcohol if necessary than uh, than fully committing to the future that somebody else has in mind for me. Well, sure. Consider I've got a 22 year old truck, and after 22 years and about 150 thousand miles, my truck hasn't lost any range. When I fill its tank, it goes just as far as it did when it was a brand new truck 22 years ago. And uh, even after 22 years, my vehicle is still worth probably about a third of what it cost when it was new. I can't get into the headspace of somebody who is okay with uh, losing $75,000 of equity over the course of seven years. And that's what happened in the case of this guy in the video that I posted. Uh, And having a vehicle that now has lost uh, basically a third uh, of its functional usefulness because of the range issue. I mean, can you imagine if you had bought any other kind of a car? And all of a sudden, it only went a third as far as it used to go. Do you think there'd be a recall? you think there'd be a class action lawsuit? Wow. I don't know. What do you think? Well, and, and there's another angle, too. And this this one even goes beyond just the electric cars. You were writing about a 2024 Dodge Hornet and and, oh, yeah. uh, and an issue that you had with this. This kind of blew my mind. Talk to me about what happened with, with that car. Well, you learn something new every day. You know, and I work on cars, but mostly I work on the older stuff that doesn't have a computer. So... Uh, I kind of stepped into it a little bit. I had this brand new 2024 Dodge Dart and uh, drove it for a couple of days and it was fine. And then on the third day, I went to drive it uh, and it wouldn't start. All it would do is flash the headlights. So, you know, immediately I thought, well, maybe there's an issue with the battery for some reason. So I got out my multimeter and I checked the voltage on the battery. And sure enough, it was down to about nine volts, which is less than the 12 volts it's supposed to be. And with modern cars that have electronic fuel injection, sometimes the computer won't even try to start the car. Uh, unless the uh, computer registers the 12 volts. So, you know, naturally I figured, okay, the solution here, at least for the moment, is to trickle charge up the battery, and then all will be well, and I'll let Dodge know, and they can figure out what to do about the battery. Well, I disconnected the battery cables because they were kind of in the way of my alligator clamps. That was a mistake. When I recharged the battery, 12 volts, hooked everything back up, the car went berserk. The horn started to honk. All of the dashboard lights would flash. car was not drivable, not operable. 
And I find out after much, much effort trying to figure out what was wrong with it and, and Dodge trying to figure out what was wrong with it, that when you disconnect the battery cable, it throws the thing into a kind of electronic catalepsy and it can't be fixed at home. You have to take it to the dealer. And of course, you can't drive it with the horn honking and the engine not running. So it had to be flatbedded and dragged to the dealer in order for them to hook it up to the necessary diagnostic equipment in order to soothe the nerves of the computer and get it to boot back up again. Now, that's just for changing a battery in a modern car. That's, uh, wow, that's a lot of work for something that would have been a really easy fix just a few short years ago. Yeah, and then I found out something else, which I didn't get a chance to write about in that article, and I didn't know this, but now people, I know it, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it off to everybody listening. Uh, it turns out that uh, new cars that have that wonderful automated stop-start technology, you know, the system that when you roll to a red light, uh, and the car stops moving, the engine shuts off automatically, and then it restarts again when you take your foot off the brake. You know right. that? Right. Well, these cars have a secondary battery that's buried within them that helps to power that system. Problem is, of course, that that battery uses up charge, too. You know, it sucks current. It sucks power. So there's a tendency for it to weaken the main battery, the main starter battery that you use to first start the car when you go out to drive it. Hence why that brand new car with a brand new battery already had a weak battery with low voltage triggering this cascading series of events that ended up with them bringing a flatbed to my house to drag a brand new car to the Dodge dealer to get it hooked up to the computer so that it could be operable again. Yeah, I'm trying to make that make sense and it's just not computing for me. Yeah, and you know, what is the benefit? This is this is another example. What is the benefit to the owner? My 22-year-old truck, when I insert the key in the ignition and turn it, it starts right up, as I'm sure your vehicle does. And there is no improvement in starting performance for these new cars. There's no advantage to it. All they have done is to take one thing, one more thing, that used to be a very simple thing that anybody just about, you didn't have to be a wrencher or a home mechanic, but you could just, you know, get out a crescent wrench, remove the cables, replace the battery and save yourself a lot of money by going to the dealer and all that other hassle. They've made that now into something that you have to go to the dealer to deal with. Amazing. we got about two minutes left here, Eric. I, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. and this is kind of philosophical, so if it puts you on the spot, I apologize, but tell me what you're I'll looking, try. what are you looking forward to in the coming year? I know there's doom and gloom out there plenty, but um, is there something that uh, you see on the horizon that uh, gives you reason to celebrate? Oh, yeah. I'm looking for, uh, I'm joyously forward to more non-compliance, whether it has to do with this push uh, to push us out of cars and into into EVs or the push, the renewed push uh, to mask us up all again. I I actually just posted an article about that. There are a number of hospitals around the country that have reinstituted the mask mandates Mm. uh, because, you know, there's a new spooky virant afoot. Um, and I'm looking forward to push back on that. I think a lot of people have simply had enough of that and aren't going to put up with that anymore. And I'm very much looking forward to that. I like that. <laughs> I think that's exemplary. And, yep. and, and, and I will, I will do my part as well. Um, I, I, so far I've been very fortunate. I have not encountered having to, had to take my mom back to the hospital for any reason. So I'm, I'm thankful that I haven't encountered more mask mandates, but man, my resolve is absolutely firm. There will be no compliance. Period. Yep. And if we if we hew to that now, you know, uh, we will not have to suffer the way we did the last time. If if we just agree enough of us that it's not acceptable, we're not going to do it. They won't be able to, to get it to gel and they won't be able to enforce it. And it will go away again as it's imperative that it must. We've got to treat sickness psychosis here, here. 
So I, I haven't seen your latest diaper report, but I will definitely f- make the time to do so today. Again, yep. I've, I've got a link to Eric's website in today's show notes. Um, it's going to be an interesting year. I, I feel absolutely confident in saying that, but Eric, I, I feel like you and I were born for times like this. I think so too. Uh, as Scotty Kilmer says, rev up your engines. Yes, and buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to be a nanny about it, but uh, I think, I think yep. we will we'll experience some bumpy road. But again, um, we, we were made for this. And, and frankly, I'm kind of excited as to, as to what's coming. I am, too. Uh, if push comes to shove and, and we're going to do some shoving, I think. All right. Eric Peters is my guest. Eric, thank you so much for making time each week to, to visit with my audience. I sure appreciate it. You bet, Brian. Thanks. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors, including lifesavingfood.com, tmcpnation.com, quiltandsew.com, as well as ironsightbrewingcompany.com. In fact, I want you to click on that link. If you are a, a coffee aficionado, you really should uh, check into this. This is my friend John Harvey's uh, new company, and it's a subscription coffee service, 72 hours from the roaster to your cup. So it's fresh, a lot of selection. It's got some cool swag as well, and I'm very happy to have him as a sponsor of the show. So as we're, we're starting the new year, I... I I feel optimistic in ways that I really didn't expect. Now, that's not to say that, I, I mean, I look around and I see the situation for what it is. There are so many things right now that are positioned. That any one of them could be the domino that starts all these other dominoes falling. I get it. I mean, a person would have to be almost willfully blind or willfully ignorant not to see some of the, the dangerous potential of this year. At the same time, I feel like I'm in a better place or better equipped to face this year than I have been ever before. Let me explain what I mean. It's not like, you figured out the secret of life? Oh, please, bottle it, sell it to me. <laughs> no, it's, it's not that I have all the answers, but there is something in my heart that is in alignment with what I believe is uh, the reason that I was created. I know that sounds very mystical, very metaphysical. What do you say? I'm sure there are others out there who, who feel a sense of, of urgency in, in the sense that, look, we recognize we, we are headed into the, the, the climax of the fourth turning that we're, we're going through right now. By the way, Jim Quinn's latest article on the fourth turning, ooh, you, better, you might need a shot of liquid courage before you read it, but it's very, very good stuff. And actually, there's now the, the original, one of the original authors, the surviving author of the fourth turning, uh, I believe it's... Uh, Neil Howe, is that his name? I'm trying to remember. Anyway, Howe, from Howe and Strauss. Howe is still alive. He has a new book, a follow-up, about the fourth turning is here. And, boy, I'll tell you, he, you know, you, they can't name individual events. They can't say, okay, so this is going to happen, and then just six months later, this is going to happen. They can just look at t- different patterns. And I guess to make the long story short... We are in the equivalent of what 1776 was, or 1941, or 1860, 
1861, actually. I mean, that's where we are. That's, that's the kind of shift that is coming. Now, that may seem ominous to some, but for some reason, I, I also get this sense, and maybe you get this too, this is, this is the moment. This is, this is what we have been preparing for for much of our lives. Those of us who have felt that calling and wanted to, to, to live up to it, our moment is about here. And I don't say that with a sense of bravado of, yeah, we're so cool. Because like, like everybody else, we will feel the pain of going through difficult times. I don't like that. I, <laughs> I'm not a masochist. I don't like pain. I prefer a life of, you know, ever-increasing comfort and, and ease. But that's not how it's going to be. Okay, that's the reality. But I feel like we are... We're positioned to do great things, and that is what gives me hope. That's what gives me a sense of anticipation. Now, you know, I don't know how things are going to shake out for us individually. I don't have that, uh, that gift of, of, you know, clairvoyance to be able to, to tell you that. But I have great confidence that uh, if you have felt the sense that, you know, there's something more that I need to be doing and you have stepped up and tried or are trying in some way to answer that call, I think you're going to be amazed at what you are capable of becoming and who you are capable of becoming. And I mean that in the best possible sense. You're not going to revert back to some caveman. You are going to rise with God's help to do great things because great things are going to be required of us. I'm sorry if that sounds really lofty, but this is one of the things that leaves me feeling positive. And I'm, I'm going to give you another example of something that makes me feel positive. Barry Brownstein, I love his mind shift essays or mindset shift essays from his Substack. Marvelous stuff. And when I saw his article, How Not to Be a Jerk in 2024, <laughs> I was like, okay, he's cutting right to the chase. This is less about how do we vanquish those who believe different or who are trying to impose something on us. No, this is, this is more about uh, getting yourself and your own heart in order first. Here's how he puts it. He says, in 2024, finding excuses for our distressed feelings and destructive behavior will be easy. We've all fallen into the trap of attributing our feelings and actions to external causes In fact, he says it's the most natural thing in the world to say, I'm angry because, or I'm anxious because, or I'm depressed because, I'm not at peace because, or I can't do this because. Now, if a friend or a loved one asks, why are you so angry? Your reply is not likely to be, because I choose to be angry. (laughs) What a great point. But Barry says you won't change yourself if you believe the cause of your distress is other people or circumstances. Externalizing the causes of our emotions and actions is not worthy of a free people. It leads to the loss of internal and external freedom. And as we tell our tedious story, well, who's to blame? It makes us a boring jerk, and everybody is a member of this jerk club. But Barry says there's something we can do about it. He says you can defend liberty by becoming a better person in 2024. Now, and again, he takes this into some detail that I think was really necessary. Okay, I'll be a better person. I'll think kind thoughts. No, no, no. Here's what he means. He says, I'm not recommending that you do a number on yourself. I'm not recommending that you shout down your thinking and don't pretend you're above all the stressors when you actually believe people and events outside yourself are the cause of your emotions and actions. He says, there's a better way. And that better way begins with deepening our understanding of reality. 
And here he has a quote from David K. Reynolds in his Audible program, Constructive Living. David K. Reynolds says, Reality School, that's the school that we're all enrolled in, where you're on scholarship, even if you're flunking. Reality doesn't reward intent. It only responds to action. And however good your intentions are when your heart is in the right place, it still doesn't count unless you do something about it. Doesn't that just seem like common sense? Barry says, to deepen our understanding of reality, let's begin with this teaching tale by Robert Adelton, as shared by uh, David K. Reynolds in his book, Thirsty, Swimming in the Lake. And this is an interesting story. Once there was a wizard who was reputed to be a great healer of neurotic suffering. People traveled from all corners of the kingdom for healing. Now, he was quite busy, of course, and long waits were expected by those who sought him in hope of cure. At the wizard's clinic, patients were shown to a waiting room. The wait was so long that they read books, they wrote letters, knitted sweaters, cleaned out their purses while waiting. The wizard's staff even invited waiting patients to clean up the waiting room and office to pass the time while waiting. Brooms and mops and rags were available for that purpose. Some of the patients noticed their neurotic complaints lessened or even went away while they were waiting to see the wizard. Others decided that their psychological aches and pains were less bothersome than the incredibly long wait, so they left the waiting room and headed home, having decided to live with their afflictions rather than loitering interminably. Other patients refused to leave and also refused the offers of reading materials and cleaning aids. They demanded to see the wizard immediately. They complained about the wait and grumbled about their neurotic symptoms to one another. They remained there still. Every once in a while, a staff member informs them they must wait a little longer and offers them a broom. Now, Barry Brownstein asks the question, what keeps us from sweeping? Well, here's one big lie we tell ourselves. Well, tomorrow the external circumstances I face will improve. I will feel better emotionally and then I'll pick up the broom. But he says, if you wait for life circumstances to align before you sweep, forget it. Stars never line up for long. Like the weather, circumstances change. When everything seems right, wait a moment and something will go wrong. Those uncomfortable feelings surface again. You may feel unappreciated and beleaguered, anxious in the present and fearful of the future. Stress seems to mount. And we often slide back into old habits when we're unhappy and stressed. We think a lot about coping with circumstances and mitigating our feelings. David K. Reynolds says the more one focuses on the suffering, noticing how unpleasant it is, trying to get rid of it, wishing it didn't exist, comparing the self with others who don't appear to suffer in this way, worrying about when the suffering will appear next, emphasizing other difficulties related to the suffering, complaining that the suffering is greater than is deserved and greater than can be endured, and so on. The more one's attention is diverted from everyday tasks and responsibilities and joys. Wow. So Barry says, we're confused about what produces happiness, so we don't pick up our broom. We just keep waiting for the wizard. Now, the message I get from this is pretty straightforward. That is, be a person of action. If there is anything this year that that will help ease the, the concerns and the anxiety, and look, I'm not coming to you from a place where, oh, yes, I'm above it all. I feel that same anxiety. But what gives me hope and what gives me a sense of optimism is There are places where I am taking action and where I will continue to take action. I'm encouraging you to consider doing the same. Know your actions may not be perfect. You might actually, you know, start doing the wrong thing, but at least you're in motion. And I think Sir Isaac Newton would agree with me that once you're in motion, 
it's easier to adjust direction than if you're just sitting there still. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Final segment of today's show. By the way, if you would like to do something really great to start out to this new year, I would encourage you to do me this, just this one small favor. Yes, I'm asking a favor. What kind of friend am I? If you find value in the message that I'm sharing and in the, the authors and the guests that I have, tell a friend. You don't have to tell everybody. I want you. I don't necessarily mean, hey, would you go knock on doors and evangelize for me? <laughs> just, you know, tell everybody, please listen. I'm just saying when you are aware that there are other people out there who are looking for encouragement, more interested in finding light than simply heat, let them know that this is one of the resources available to them. That's all I ask. Okay? Won't cost you but a few moments of your time, and uh, you might be surprised and comforted to find out how many people out there are paying attention and, and trying to make that difference. Now, if you prefer your truth without sugarcoating, I'm including a couple of essays from James Howard Kunstler in today's show notes. And I'll tell you, his two most recent columns are definitely a worthwhile read. He has a no-holds-barred take on the forecast for 2024. Um, I think Jim does the best job of, of uh, most of the commentators that I read on a daily basis. He is extremely gifted at being able to summarize the situation He's got a way with words, a memorable turn of phrase every so often that just is like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that is very descriptive. But here's the kicker. He does it in a way that doesn't leave you feeling hopeless and, uh, you know, considering, well, I guess I'll just sit here and die, you know, because everything is doomed. There are serious situations here, but I, I want to share with you in particular one one of his essays. This is the other essay. The forecast for 2024 is awesome. It's great analysis. But I would definitely recommend, if you can only pick one, look at his one called The Great Clarification. And it starts with a quote from uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, who, by the way, I'm not going to encourage you, oh, this is the guy you need to be voting for. Um, I'm not going to get politically possessed by this election cycle. But Ramaswamy actually brings up something really powerful that you don't hear very many other candidates talking about. In a recent uh, interview that I saw him in, he says the time for the great uprising to defeat, it's time for the great uprising to defeat the great reset. You've heard the phrase great reset. How about the great uprising? He says this isn't just an R versus D question in 2023. It's a 1776 moment. Now talk like that makes people in power nervous, but they should be nervous. Because their days of, of living on other people's money and enslaving us with our own money are very likely drawing to a close. And that's, that's good news as, as well as bad news. The good news is they can't do it indefinitely. The bad news is these are the kind of folks who are of the mindset that we'll just burn the house down and everything with it because I can't have it. So here's what uh, James Howard Kunstler says about the great clarification. He says, I'm already liking 2024. Consequences itching to return to the American scene. Somewhere around 2016, cause and effect got a divorce. After that, things just happened or unhappened with no further 
orders of effect, like some brute existence without purpose, meaning, or even awareness, except for the feeling of the lash on your back. Well, after that long journey through a dark place, treading ever deeper into the unknown, knowing you are in the presence of demons, one foot from one footstep to the next, worrying incessantly that God has abandoned you, the alarm bell is ringing, the light is shining through, your eyes roll up like window shades, and it's time to get your mind right. Yes, even nations have bad dreams. Welcome to the great clarification. He says, we are waking to the stupefying criminality of public life, to the immersive, obvious BS of people in charge who don't deserve your respect or compliance. How they got into those positions is only another feature of that totalistic criminality. What was hidden in plain sight will be revealed to those suffering mere hysterical blindness. It was fitting then that the last extravagant political act of 23 was Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows chucking Mr. Trump off the ballot there because she felt like it. To save our democracy, you understand. Now, Kunzler says that might be the terminal absurdity of the derangement we're leaving behind. The signature for much that has gone down in this country the past three years. Women on the verge of nervous of a nervous breakdown throwing the crockery of law around the room at daddy. Now, all this accomplishes, of course, is to disgrace authority in general and to turn America into one big broken home, making us a population of frightened runaways clinging desperately to a few square feet of ground alone under the freeway ramp in the rain. That is no way to live. The way to live is to make yourself useful to your fellow humans and get paid for it and find some joy and meaning in that human fellowship based on fair, consensual transactions. A pretty simple formula that's been supplanted by the evil idea that life is nothing but a shakedown. Now, he says the election of 2024, whether it is actually allowed to happen or not, will probably commence the extinction of the D.C. blob. This entity has made itself malignantly, malignantly inimical to the proper functioning of self-governing people, and everybody knows it. The blob will die of irrelevance and impotence as the trust horizon devolves downward, and we are thrust back into the awesome task of reconstructing our local communities. But he says there is much to do. He says, I keep hearing figures in the public arena say, they have a creepy feeling something big is going to happen. Well, sure, something's got to give. So much hyper-complexity has been heaped onto the apparatus of shakedown that just about nothing works in America anymore. Now, the Internet is obviously a major part of that. We've allowed digital magic to invade every scrap of territory in our daily doings to the degree that there's no longer enough for humans to do. But alas, digital magic is only a pale simacralum of real human magic. The virtual is not an adequate substitute for the authentic. Why do you think there are so many people barely alive in a haze of opiate drugs splayed on the sidewalks of San Francisco, the epicenter of internet wealth and power? The something big could well be the web-down crisis that is nervously tweeted about. If it went on for more than a couple of weeks, most everything we depend on would cease to work. From food supplies to clean water to communications to what has been operating lately as money. That would be a clarifying interlude for sure. But he says among the few things that would still work in the event of a massive attack on the internet are human brains, human bodies, and firearms. That combo could be as much a recipe for order as for chaos. Now, he says, I believe in the fairly short term, most of us would opt for order. As far as I'm concerned, he says, there's already been enough chaos, just about every bit of it unnecessary. But he says, let's not get ahead of ourselves. 2024 is on. 
It's the time many of us have been waiting for. We're in it. So he says, stay alert, make the right choices, exercise situational awareness, get ready to walk with consequence. It's here and it's not queer. Man, that is, that is top-notch. <laughs> and, and like I say, I, I appreciate his sense of humor and his ability to, to turn a memorable phrase uh, as well. Really, really solid information here from James Howard Kunstler. But that part about stay alert, make the right choices, exercise situational awareness, and get ready to walk with consequence. That's what gives me the sense of optimism that I'm feeling right now for 2024. You understand? I'm, I'm not wearing my rose-colored glasses. I'm not trying to golly gee whiz Pollyanna my way out of, you know, the, the, the tough road that is, is right before us. I think all of us are going to be just mildly surprised, maybe even shocked, to learn how much actual influence we have. Too many of us have been trained to believe that, well, the only way you really have influence is you, you get into power and you make some pivotal you know, type of legislation or some kind of judicial decision or whatever it is. That's not it. Like James says, you know, it's, it's, it's about rebuilding our local communities. That's where we have to start. That's where we live. That's where our influence is most keenly felt. But even then, before you get around to ordering your community you got to have your own heart in order. And when your heart is in order, you put your home in order. And when your home is in order, you work with your neighbors and you help put your neighborhood in order and then your community in order. I didn't come up with that. Confucius actually said that a long, long time ago. But that's wisdom that has survived the test of time. It's as true now as it was when Confucius first wrote those words down. And the best part about it is there's actually peace of mind in taking that approach. Everybody who's wrapped up in this whole top-down, we've got to focus on who's going to be the Republican nominee, and oh, look at the infighting. Look, it's a big political passion play. That's all it is. And it's designed to get us emotionally engaged, and it's, it's kind of an emotional tar baby, if you will, that, you know, once you're, you're stuck in it, it's really hard to extricate yourself. I can just promise you this. The more you are willing to take action within your sphere of influence, the more at peace you are going to feel, even though you know you're not in control of everything, you don't need to be in control of everything. You're using your influence as wisely as you can where you are, and that's what leadership is. This is The Brian Hyde Show.